the Hamlet podcast. This bonus episode focuses on the work of Peter Brook, perhaps the most influential theatre director in the last hundred years. The list of his achievements is remarkable, and even at 95 years of age, he's still writing and creating. Among Brooke's earliest encounters with Shakespeare was an at-home puppet production he created when he was about seven or eight years old. This was the early 1930s, and the name of the director of a show hadn't quite become the selling point that it can be today. Nonetheless, the young Master Brooke felt it necessary to introduce his production as being by P. Brooke and W. Shakespeare. He's been putting his stamp on Shakespeare productions for several decades since then. In the mid-1940s, Brooke caught the eye of Barry Jackson, then head of the Royal Shakespeare Company, who invited him to direct King John in Chichester and then a production of Love's Labour's Lost for the RSC in 1946. At that point, he was the youngest ever director to stage a show in the main theatre in Stratford-upon-Avon, the Shakespeare Memorial Theatre. Over the next 20 years, he would create a huge variety of work and even spent a few years as the head of production at the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden. In the mid-1950s, he directed a major production of Hamlet, starring Paul Schofield, which toured as far as the Moscow Art Theatre. It was one of the first ever Shakespeare productions broadcast on British television, although sadly there is no surviving footage because the production was broadcast live. An attempt was made to condense the production, which ran for a good three hours in the theatre, to 90 minutes for television. Schofield was praised for his acting, although some critics felt that the project revealed that there would be much to learn in this new medium. Acting for the small screen required a very different approach to what is required in live theatre. As one reviewer noted, Schofield, in penetrating close-up as the gloomy prince, kept shouting to the gallery and deafening us in the kitchen. Brooke did a lot of work with John Gielgud at the Royal Shakespeare Company, including productions of The Winter's Tale and Measure for Measure. He directed a very influential Titus Andronicus with Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee, notable for the use of red silks instead of blood. He collaborated with Paul Schofield again on King Lear, first in a stage production in 1962 and then later a stark, devastating film. Brooke has made a variety of films, perhaps most famously the adaptation of William Golding's novel The Lord of the Flies in 1963. He won his first Tony in 1966 for Marat Saad, a landmark production whose full title is The Persecution and Assassination of Jean-Paul Marat as performed by the inmates of the Asylum of Charenton under the direction of the Marquis de Sade. It was a hugely influential play, a revolutionary combination of the ensemble work of the RSC, Brooke's own ever-evolving interests, and the theatre theories of Bertolt Brecht and Antonin Artaud. At around the same time as Marat Sad, a Polish writer called Jan Kott published a major work called Shakespeare, Our Contemporary. My copy of its English translation has a foreword by Brooke himself, celebrating how immediately Cott relates Shakespeare to his own life. The book has been enormously influential around the world and is even today a key text for students trying to bridge the gap between Shakespeare's world and our own. It could be said to have led Brooke to two of his most monumental contributions to our world, Brooke's book The Empty Space and a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. The Empty Space is a series of four essays, each discussing an aspect of theatre. 
It is provocative and insightful and brilliant and opaque. Any artist reading it will be inspired, but also exhausted. It's already over half a century old, but Brooke's challenges are still vital and thought-provoking. The book advocates for immediacy and honesty, for freshness and for invention. Certainly all of these were features of the Midsummer Night's Dream that Brooke directed in 1970. Calling it a landmark doesn't even do it justice. This was a complete revolution. The show was staged in a white box, a physical manifestation perhaps of that empty space, and it was experimental, sexy and completely devoid of traditional Shakespearean fairies. It won Brooke his second Tony, and in his aftermath he upped sticks and moved to Paris, founding the International Centre for Theatre Research with producer Micheline Rosan. The centre toured around the Middle East and Africa during the early 1970s, performing and experimenting everywhere they went. A major element of their performances was a kind of immediacy. They would roll out a carpet and perform wherever they found themselves. These carpet shows would influence a great many of Brooks' productions to come when he found a permanent home at the Théâtre des Bouffes du Nord back in Paris. Brooke worked a lot in the early 1970s with the poet Ted Hughes, who translated Seneca's Oedipus for him and also created an extraordinary text called Orgast, which was performed at the Shiraz Festival in Iran. Loosely based on the Prometheus story, it was performed in a reconstructed language derived from ancient Greek and the ceremonial Avesta language. The company featured actors from numerous countries, each with their own contributions to make. This multinational ethos was a key characteristic of Brooks' work in the 1970s, which ranged from major Shakespeare projects, like the French-language version of the rarely performed Timon of Athens that opened the Bouffe du Nord, to his next major landmark, a nine-hour adaptation of the Indian epic, the Mahabharata. The project was controversial. Some critics raved that it did nothing less than attempt to transform Hindu myth into universalised art, accessible to any culture. On the other hand, post-colonial writers were damning in their criticism. As Rustam Barucha wrote, Peter Brook's Mahabharata exemplifies one of the most blatant and accomplished appropriations of Indian culture in recent years. It suggests the bad old days of the British Raj, not in its direct allusions to colonial history, but in its appropriation of non-Western material within an Orientalist framework of thought and action, which has been specifically designed for the international market. This divided reception, that regardless how good the work was, its Orientalism was problematic, made Brooks' work a battleground for critical commentary in the 1980s. Another French company, the Théâtre du Soleil, likewise came under scrutiny for incorporating traditional Indian culture into their productions of Greek tragedies soon afterwards. Brooke ended the 1980s with a French-language production of The Tempest. This project had its roots in a workshop production that he had done all the way back in 1968. That workshop had led to his move to Paris and all that followed. The 1968 Tempest workshop had taken fragments of the play and used them to explore different theatrical possibilities, and indeed it was with a comparable approach that he next returned to Hamlet. In 1995, he made a production called Qui est là, the French translation of the first words of the play, Who's There? This wasn't strictly speaking an adaptation of Hamlet, but rather an experiment, a theatrical research, as the subtitle claimed. The piece used Hamlet as a starting point, 
looking at the play through the lens of several major 20th century theatrical thinkers. These were Stanislavski, Brecht, Artaud, Meyerhold and Edward Gordon Craig. Innovative as this was, it had something of a precedent. All the way back in 1964, during the revolutionary theatre of cruelty season that Brooke had overseen at the Royal Shakespeare Company, he had co-directed a comparably chopped up version of Hamlet with his seasoned co-director Charles Marowitz. Amid all of his experiments and projects, Shakespeare remained a kind of touchstone for Peter Brook, and indeed all of these experiences were brought to bear on his most recent Hamlet, performed in the year 2000 in Paris. Titled The Tragedy of Hamlet, Brooke was still altering the credits and the names for this play, it cut the text quite drastically. With a small company of actors, led by Adrian Lester, it weaves together many of the threads that Brooke has spun throughout his career. The no-nonsense pragmatic editing of the play, the immediacy and the minimalism of its performance were all recognisable standards of his work. To heighten the theatricality of the performances within the play, Brooke returned to the ancient-sounding languages developed for Orgast. The play was performed on a carpet, echoing those ad hoc performances in Africa, and again featured a company of actors from several countries. It seemed to throw off the mantle of what it means to stage Hamlet, for Peter Brook to stage Hamlet, for any company to approach the play. It felt very much like a chamber piece, a shadowy, intimate exploration of a young, contemporary man's realisation that he must become a murderer. It was filmed and it is available on DVD, and I didn't tell you this, but it's probably on YouTube also. Brook has continued to search for simplicity, for the essential qualities of a great variety of works, His reduced version of the opera Carmen has found continued success and his theatre productions have continued to show an ever-increasing sort of minimalism. Hamlet was the last full, quote-unquote, production of a Shakespeare play that he directed, following it up in 2002 with a version of it in French. In the 20 years since then, he has returned to the battlefield of the Mahabharata at the Young Vic, created fascinating versions of some of Beckett's shorter plays, and made two collage pieces featuring works from Shakespeare, Varum Varum, a collection of works by several great theatre writers, and Love is My Sin, a piece for two actors derived from the sonnets. Brooke continues to write, recently publishing collections of reflections on sound and music and on language and meaning. His most recent book on Shakespeare, The Quality of Mercy, was published in 2013. It's a collection of personal responses to ideas, lines from Shakespeare and several of the plays that Brooke has directed. It feels only appropriate to give him the last word. These indeed, the last words of that book. For every actor, director, collaborator, for every critic, there is only one treacherous, elusive and magnificent guide when one approaches these works. The guide cannot just be subjective, nor truly objective. A sliding scale means just that. We must continually look within, at what is awakened, when what is within meets what comes from without. What is the process through which the sense of a buried something gradually becomes a form? At the same time, we must bring all we can to help this something to become what we are forced to call quality. Shakespeare quality, form. This is where our work begins. It never ends.